to the Engaged Midwife Podcast. I'm Missy. And this is Kara. And today we're going to be talking some about test-taking strategies for students. So Kara, what do you think is important for students to know right off the bat? Well, right off the bat, one of the most important things is to just go in with confidence. And we're going to cover some different strategies and tips and hints that we think are really helpful but also we want you to rely back on those things that have worked really well for you in the past on all the other exams you've taken through school. And if you're an RN on previous licensure exams, there's lots of things that we can build on today in our conversation. Yeah, I think the first rule is don't change who you are in terms of a test. Absolutely. If you have something that works really well for you, stick with that. Don't do anything drastically different with this test. If you know you take exams quickly, then you're going to take your exam quickly. If you know you need time and you need breaks, you should build that into your test-taking strategy. If you are someone that has gone back and changed answers in the past and it's burned you, don't do it this time either. Stick with what you know. Right. And so throughout this episode, we'll give you some tangible ways to make yourself feel comfortable and some strategies to get ready for the exam um, as it's coming forward in your career. And I think a lot of the things that we'll talk about today are completely pertinent for certification exam for midwifery, but they're also things that can help you a lot if you're preparing for your comprehensive exam in your program or any other high stakes exams that you might be taking in the future. But we definitely will focus a lot on midwifery today. Awesome. So Kara, do you want to talk a little bit about the certification exam? Yeah, so the exam um, is a 175-question exam. You have four hours to take the exam, and the exam has a set pool of questions that it delivers to you. It doesn't change or adapt based on how you answer a certain question. That that probably feels a little bit different than the NCLEX if you're an RN and have taken that exam before. You'll get a set number of questions and they're the same for everyone that gets that version of the exam. So speaking of versions, how many versions of the test are there? Right now, um, we're at the beginning of 2021 and historically um, there have been three versions. Sometimes in the past there's only been two available, but generally there's a couple of different versions available each year. You mentioned there being 175 questions. Do all of them count? No, and that's a, it's an interesting thing. There are 50 of the questions that are being kind of trialed or prepped or tested out for future exam takers. And so 125 of the questions on the exam are ones that count towards your score or your performance on the exam. So those 50 other questions are being validated for other exams. Exactly, yeah, making sure they're really good questions for future exam takers. Cool, that's really good information to know. Yeah, and you know, I think it might be helpful, Missy, if you kind of explained how the test is broken down, like what content areas. Yeah, so this test has content areas that should be really specific to what you received in your midwifery educational program. So the big content areas are going to be antepartum, intrapartum, and well woman and gynecology. And so those are the big three that we sort of talk about because they make up the biggest part of the exam. But then there are also three additional sections. You'll have a section that will have postpartum, Um, a section on primary care, and another section on newborn. Now, we're not saying that on the test you're going to see, oh, this is the intrapartum section. We're just saying that there are a certain number of questions devoted to each one of those topic areas 
um, interspersed within the test. Yeah, and historically, back back in the day when you and I took the exam, there was a section of professional issues. But now those professional issues are integrated throughout the different topic areas. Yes, yes. And the, the exam um, really focuses mainly on normal. Um, it is really, uh, if you take 100% of the test, about 60% of it is on normal management, like normal judgment. So we, we tell students that 60% of it is normal and 40% of it is abnormal. And then 60% um, of it is clinical judgment and the other 40% is knowledge. So if you're thinking about the kinds of questions you're gonna see, they're generally gonna be normal clinical management. And I know that's really different for some students because they're always looking for, like, is there a problem in the question? Right, but it's a perfect fit for a midwife test because we think of midwives as experts in normal. And so it really is wanting to get at what is the midwifery management of a particular situation, not really complex pathophysiology or really intense complications or that sort of thing. One of the things I've had to try to convince students of over the years is the idea that when the answer choice says normal management, that it's okay for them to choose that answer. Right. Reassurance is sometimes an intervention, right? Yes. Um, the other interesting thing, and we'll talk more about this later, is when you're asked if you should consult, collaborate, or refer in a test question. Can you want to talk a little bit about that, Kara? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, midwifery does such a nice job of, in our profession, discussing what consultation is, what collaboration is, and what referral is. But really, the test wants to know, do you know what the appropriate midwifery management is? So there will be questions where the appropriate answer is, consult, collaborate, or refer, but it's not going to be every question wanting that type of answer because they want to know, do you know what to do as a midwife with your own type of management? So it is important to know the difference. They also want to make sure you understand your scope. Exactly. And so that's an important um, document that you can also refer to within um, the ACNM guidelines are what exactly is your scope of practice as a midwife. And what are the core competencies? Because it's really getting at what is basic midwifery practice, what is it that a beginning level novice midwife needs to know to be able to practice safely. Great. So I think we can move on a little. Um, do you want to talk some about going in to take the test and what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So when you present, you'll have either a morning or afternoon scheduled time and pick what works best for you. If you're a morning person, obviously go for the morning. That would be me. I would be worked into a tizzy, anxious mess if I had to wait around for an afternoon time slot. Oh, please don't make me take a test at 9 a.m. I know, we're so different. I know, I wanna take that test at 1 p.m. when I've had coffee and I feel awake and fed and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. All the things, all the things. All the things. <laughs> you'll go in without anything with you. I mean, you'll have your ID, obviously, and the things that you'll need to check in at the test center, but then you won't have access to those things during the test taking. And it is a computerized exam. Um, you'll also get a piece of blank paper and a pencil. And I think we talk a lot about this, about what you do with that piece of paper is totally your thing to do with that piece of paper. So before you go into that, I would really like for you, you mentioned the words test center. I want you to um, talk a little bit about what that means. Oh, sure. Yeah. So depending um, throughout the country, there's different test centers. I think, you know, here in my area where I'm at in the middle of the country in Kansas, I think it might be an H&R block. Um, the, the testing company um, has contracts with different facilities, but 
it might be a total huge testing center or it might be something like an H&R block or something like that. But um, you'll present to the test center at your scheduled time and then um, you are, you get your picture taken. I know we always talk about this too, Missy, because you remember getting your picture taken um, for your exam and it just, your score report will have that picture on it at the end of the day. And I had been very sick, nervous, and anxious right before my test, and my picture very much reflects how I was feeling. I think you see that in your picture. I don't know the rest of us would yes. see that. So. Okay, so back to that piece of paper. What are we going to do with that piece of paper when they hand it to us? So I think people use it in different ways. Um, I, one of the things that you might do, if there is something that just makes you anxious, makes you nervous, you think that you might have trouble remembering it as you go into the exam, it might be that the first thing you do as you sit down at your test is that you just like write that all out on the piece of paper. I would say vomit that out on the piece of paper, but I don't want to be gross or offensive. But whatever it is that you need to do to get that recorded, and then that can reduce your anxiety. I've gotten that recorded somewhere. I can refer back to it if I come to a question that has that topic on it. Um, maybe it's a bishop score. Or maybe it's a long arc rotation. Oh, let's not talk about long arc rotation. I'm never going to remember it. I know. I know. Um, so you can use that paper any way you want. Maybe you use that piece of paper to record a question that you want to go back and look at later. Um, that's another thing about the test is that you can move about in the test any which way you want to. So you can always go back and find a question that you want to spend a little bit more time on. It may be that later in the exam, a question gives you a piece of information that you may have forgotten previously. And you're like, oh gosh, you know what? That question I had previously on shoulder to social, I need to go back and look for it because now I think I might answer it differently based on the information I now recall. So you can use that piece of paper however you want. You can draw on it. I think we always talk about drawing the pelvises and fetal positions. And yeah, things. the clock with the fetal head in it and what position the head's in. I know I very clearly remember drawing out the HPA axis yeah. on my piece of paper so I knew where the positive and negative feedback mechanisms were so I could remember that if I got to. And what's crazy is everything I wrote on that paper, I never really had to refer back to. But it was like a safe, it was like a, like a security blanket. Yeah, and... Well, I mean, you and I would talk about anytime we write something down, it's really good to help us remember it, too. So just that act of writing it down probably helped you in your test taking. Right. So I, I, I want to talk more about like what it looks like when you sit down and start reading questions. Um, because I know that what we have found with students is that we see that they don't read the whole question right. or they uh, read it too fast and they miss important components. So what suggestions do you maybe have for students when they're, you know, sitting down and, you know, reading those first few questions out of the gate? I think it's really important to make sure you don't go too fast. You want to know what is the question actually asking me. And so I'm someone that uh, took this test years ago on paper and you could write all over the exam. You can't really do that now with it on the computer, but you could use your piece of paper to help you. You could definitely still look for those keywords in the question that'll help you know what is it asking. Is it asking what I would do first? Is it asking what's most important? What is it asking? And make sure you answer that, that you're not jumping to conclusions with the questions. Right, or moving more steps ahead than what you need to to be correct on the answer. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the other things, Missy, that I think is important is um, how much time you have to take the test. And I know we mentioned four hours, um, but if someone had... Um, 
trouble with timing and exams throughout their educational program and that sort of thing. Is there something that they can do to help them um, as they take the midwifery exam? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, there are several types of students that have had certain kinds of testing accommodations while they've been in school, and um, AMCB will honor those. They do have to provide some sort of documentation um, in order for them to be able to have accommodations for the test, but certainly that we know of students that have been able to successfully take their board examination with their accommodations. And if you don't have accommodations, but you've had problems with testing, I mean, that's something important also to consider. We've talked to a lot of students recently who have some low-level anxiety and have always had that. And so there are also strategies for that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a big investment to take this exam. And it is high stakes. We know how much anxiety it can produce. And so you want to be really thoughtful as you go into the exam about do you have all the resources in place and is there anything that you could do to help yourself before before right. you go take the test. Kara brought up a really good point that it's an expensive test. The test is actually $500, um, which is an investment. And if you have to retake the exam, it's another $500. So, you know, it can be a big um, financial burden. And we really hope that students only have to take their exam one time. That's our ultimate goal. Right. Absolutely. I think, you know, you asked earlier about how people approach the questions and making sure they read and slow down and really think about what the question is asking. And one of the things I often find is that people talk about how there's always more than one right answer or they can easily get it down to two questions, you know, two answers on the question. And that's true throughout so many healthcare exams and licensure exams. And we certainly can appreciate that from our own test taking in the past. But I think it is important to think about if it's asking you what would you do first or what's the most important step is thinking about like Maslow's hierarchy. So is it a safety? I mean, it's the very first thing of like, everybody has to be in a safe environment and then like what's your ABCs is there airway breathing circulation what is something that would be so pathophysiologic that it could cause harm I need to correct that first and then maybe it moves on eventually to um, education and comfort and you know kind of that self-actualization level of Maslow's hierarchy but really hitting at those ABCs um, and, and emergency situations before you move on to others yeah, I think that's really important to remember. As I know, we've talked through um, cases about hypertension and what would you do in that situation, and that strategy would really work well for something that's emergent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the other important things um, to talk about is how the exam is really intended for midwives across the U.S., you and I live in very different areas, and what we see in practice in our different areas may look a little bit different, but the exam's really hitting at everyone. Right, and we were just talking about the differences in standards of what midwives can do between where we live, I live in Ohio and you live in Kansas, and what midwives are able to do in those areas. It's really, really important though for the purpose of the test that we understand that we're following national guidelines and the test is written on national guidelines. So how you have learned in your clinical situations or in your midwifery program may be a bit different than what is actually on the exam. So what kinds of guidelines do you think they should look at? You know, I think any time that we have uh, guidelines that are consensus document, like we have multiple organizations that come together and agree, that's really important. So if you think about maybe the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, USPSTF, um, if you think about CDC, 
I mean, oh, the CDC has got so many things. And so many great apps and free resources. So whether it's STD treatment guidelines or group B strep or contraception and medical eligibility, there's so many things that are really good from the CDC. Um, as we talk about cervical cancer screening and pap testing, you know, thinking about ASCCP, those are the major guidelines and consensus documents that we would want to think about. Um, but we all know throughout the educational programs, you learn evidence-based um, modalities, you learn evidence-based theory, all of those different things. And then what you see in your clinical site sometimes looks a little bit different. So don't base your answers on what you saw necessarily in practice, but what you know those evidence-based guidelines to be. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's also, it's also important, I think, to realize that when guidelines get updated, they're not immediately available on the test. Right. We know that new versions of the test come out every few years. And if a new guideline has come out in like the, in the last six or 12 months, the likelihood is they're not going to see it. Right, right. And, and it wouldn't be so specific to those minor tweaks between guideline versions as well, I think. The point of the test is not to trick you. The point of the test is to make sure that you're a good beginning, competent midwife. And um, so, you know, the idea is, is that they're not going to nail you to a specific guideline that might need to be brand new. Right. Right. Absolutely. So uh, another part of this is um, how do you feel that the test is written? Is it written so that you need to have practiced in a tertiary care center? Or is it written that, you know, if you're in a home birth setting? Can you talk a little bit about that, Kara? Yeah, so midwifery practice guidelines and midwifery standards of care are the same regardless of where you practice. And the same would be true of this test. So it isn't going to be specific to hospital-based care. It's not going to be specific to um attending birth in a home birth setting and that sort of thing. It is for all midwives. And so we oftentimes talk about how you should kind of think of yourself as a midwife in a freestanding birth center. Um, you're not in a tertiary center where there's every high tech piece of equipment and everyone gets lots of intervention. And you're also not in a home birth setting. You're kind of that middle of the road setting. You've got great transfer guidelines if you need them in place and you've got some resources but in general you're really focusing on that normal midwifery management that you talked about how so much of the exam is really focused on right that's a great example of like where their mindset should be i know we've worked with some students who had extreme examples in their clinical and then had a difficult time um, really focusing in on midwifery management. And I think the other barrier that we've seen with students has been people who come with many, many years of labor and delivery experience also have a difficult time separating nursing and midwifery. Absolutely. I, I find the same to be true, Missy, when we have students that are nurse practitioners as well. And so maybe their scope of practice as an FNP has included more chronic management and some more complex comorbidities where really this exam is getting at what would you do as a midwife? And so you have to remember, I'm not an FMP taking this test. I'm a nurse midwife or a midwife. Right. That's the scope is very different. So I, um, I can see what, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So on the test, if they talk about guidelines or medications, what's that going to look like? So I, well, 
here's the deal. I haven't seen the exam in years, and you haven't either. No. But our understanding is that when they talk about medications, they're going to give you potentially a brand name, but also definitely the generic name. And I think you can get a lot of hints from those generic names. I always think of birth control as kind of the classic example of you may not know a brand name of a pill. I can tell you I don't know the brand names of a lot of pills. Um, I wouldn't know, but I can read the generic and see that if it says ethanol, estradiol, and desigestrol, it's got estrogen and a progestin in it. And then I can tell it's a combined hormonal contraception. Um, there's a lot of things in the generic name that can be really helpful to you. And then I don't think that they're going to try to um, confuse people on dosages of medications or uh, throw you off on the number of days of an antibiotic or that sort of thing. It really should be something that is totally a plausible answer and you're trying to pick the best agent or the best medication. Is there anything else about the actual certification exam that you think we need to talk about? Or should we maybe switch gears about how students can use questions to their benefit when they're studying? I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. So we get a lot of questions from students about how they can best prepare. They'll say there aren't unlimited amounts of questions available, and we will usually say, of course there aren't. These questions are hard to write, and they're, it's really time-consuming to sit down and write a lot of questions, which is why you don't see several books with midwifery prep in it because those questions are so hard to write. They are. They really take a lot of time and effort, and so there is a good resource available. I think most people are aware that there's a really good question bank resource book that's available and and they won't find a lot of other question banks out there. Right. And so one of the things that we really stress is how can you use those questions differently? And the, the strategy is you do get some memorization when you use the same questions over and over again, but we're strong believers in the idea of understanding the rationales of questions. Right. Use those questions that you've already answered to your advantage and get even more, more um, bandwidth out of them. How can you use that question to really deepen your understanding? Right. And if you can articulate the the rationales between the right answer and the rationales about the wrong answer, that's also a great strategy going into your exam because you might be able to rationalize yourself in or out of answer choices that are available on the test. Absolutely, and, and I know that as myself as a test taker, I sometimes learn the most from the questions that I miss. And so going back to those questions that you maybe didn't get right and really working through those rationales is a really good way to prep for the next time that you take questions. So is there anything about the certification exam that you find or that we, I guess, have found over the years to be concerning with students that um, they feel like are reasons that they've been unsuccessful? Well, I think um, that there are some questions that people come upon in the exam that maybe they feel like they've never seen that content before or it doesn't feel like it makes sense to them or is totally out of left field, it's totally different than the other questions on the exam. And I think one of the things that I would think about is maybe that is one of those questions that's being trialed for future. Maybe it's one of those ungraded um, questions that's, uh, that's being validated for future test versions. And so having that frame of reference, that mindset that if I come upon something that seems so different, maybe it is. And, and answer it to the best of your capability and then move on. 
it's the idea of not letting your confidence get shook by one question that may seem um, foreign to you. Absolutely. I think managing your um, own uh, frame, your own uh, mental health throughout the exam is really, really important. Um, one of the other things I think is that, you know, just like we talk about how women should prepare for the labor and birth experience, um, it's similar to preparing to run a half marathon or a marathon. You shouldn't go in unprepared. Um, I think the same can be said about the testing experience. And so having mantras that are really important to you, having a way that you're going to pace yourself, know where you're at in the exam and how many questions are left. Um, how much time do you have? And maybe you should get up and take a physical break. There's, sometimes it's, it can get it can get to be a slog in the last half of that. Just like it could be really horrible if you didn't, you know, walk through the water stations in a half marathon. You need to get up and move a little bit and change up your pace. And so maybe it is that you run to the bathroom and get a drink of water or something like that, and then come back and you'll feel refreshed as you tackle that next set of questions. You mentioned a bit about like preparing for labor and birth and having that be um, sort of analogous to how we prepare for this exam maybe. Mm -hmm. So do you think maybe we should give them some tips on how to prepare? Like what kinds of things should they be thinking about in the month or week or a few days leading up to their exam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea because I know that you and I uh, spend a lot of time telling people to take care of themselves. Yeah, self-care is so important as you're transitioning out of school and into practice and have a high-stakes exam as, you know, a barrier to that. Well, and we know that everyone gradu graduated from a really high-quality program. I mean, we have great midwifery programs across the country and really good accreditation standards that say that that is so. Um, so there should be some confidence in your preparation and that you shouldn't feel that you have to study right up to the second you walk into the test center. Oh my gosh, that's so important. The idea of taking a mental break. And I, and I tell students all the time that it's 24 to 48 hours before you take your exam. You should not be sitting down with Barney. You should not have a pharmacology book in your lap. You should not be listening to podcasts as you're walking into your exam. This, the things you're going to retain as you prepare are not going to be retained 48 hours before your exam. A hundred percent, I agree with you. If you don't know it before that 48 hours, you're not going to remember it then walking into the test. So self-care, rest, um, eating good foods that are nourishing to your mind, body, and soul, all of those different things are really, really important. Yeah, it's almost like taking a mental vacation for a few days. Yes. And so whatever you do for that, it, whether it's a bath and, um, and a book or whether that's, you know, going outside and walking or getting in a good workout, it's whatever works for you. Whatever your definition of self-care is, is what you should be doing for those few days. Absolutely. I agree. I just told a student a few days ago that um, I wanted them to stop studying what they already knew well. Yes. And so what does that look like for a student? It, I mean, I think, you know, we certainly have lots of interaction with individuals that say, I, I feel really good about intrapartum. Maybe they've been a labor nurse for a long time. They've got a really good understanding of the labor and birth process. And so I would say, don't spend time on that. I mean, do, do some questions in those areas because it also builds your confidence and makes you feel good when you know the answers to things. But don't waste your time on stuff that comes really naturally to you. Use the time that you have to prepare to the best of your capability and really focus on the areas that maybe you need a little more help with. 
Yes, the advice I gave to this student was to go through all of the questions and highlight the ones that she still needed to work on and to stop sort of answering the questions that she already really felt strongly about. Right. Um, and, and just to focus in on those things. One of the other tips that we like to give students is that the physical process of writing things down connects what you're seeing and reading to your brain. And so I know that seems very old school. And and Kara will tell you I'm the most techie person ever. I have a lot of devices. Because you give national presentations on all the tech. Yeah, the tech is really my strong point. But I will tell you that the connection that you make when you take things and write them with your hand really does help to recall them later. Absolutely. And there's good research on that as well. There is. And, and it's why, you know, you and I both are such advocates for making tables and actually like handwriting the information in a table. Maybe it's all the STIs and you write out what the, what the etiology is and what the signs and symptoms and how you test and how you treat. And maybe it's the different types of headaches. We use tables a lot in primary care because that doesn't really come naturally to either of us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it comes naturally to a lot of midwives. But making tables to differentiate different diagnoses or different pathologies can really be helpful. And writing it, physically writing it, is different than typing it or copying and pasting something. Is there anything else that you think is important for students as we start to wrap up this episode? I think it's just that focus on it being a midwifery exam and really that it will be testing you on your midwifery knowledge. And I, I you know, joke a lot about having that little bracelet. I grew up in the you know, 80s in the Midwest. Maybe we should all have those bracelets that say WWVD. As you come to a question and you don't know what to do, maybe you should think of what would Varney do. Right. That's great advice. So thanks for tuning into our podcast today. We'll get back with you with some more episodes very soon. We hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Thanks so much.